Hello and welcome to a live Kerfeffy break on Deep Program with Carrie Smith. I'm your host, Carrie, and I'm here today with one of my friends who I'm so excited I just got to see this week in New York, Miss Libby Emmons. How are you, Libby? I'm good, Carrie. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little uh, tired in a good way from traveling all over and seeing people. It's been a very busy June. Today's the first day of July. Mm -hmm. That's going to be great. Um, but yeah, I'm I good. thought it was great because everyone came to New York. All I had to do was get to Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. Like, then you just cross the river, you know. Yeah. Normally, I have to go wherever, Texas and everywhere else. Yeah, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Libby was a panelist at Minds Fest, the Festival of Ideas in New York, this past week, and it was just a great lineup. It was everyone from Libby to Daryl Davis, Cornell West, um, what's his name, Seth Dillon from the Babylon Bee. Seth Dillon from Babylon Bee, Majid yeah. Nawaz was there. Uh, it was really fascinating. Yeah. I loved the lady on stage with you, Margaret. What's her last name? Uh, Margaret Kimberly. I didn't know her before, but um, she's so interesting. Yeah. You know, I love when people, even if I disagree with them, can speak intelligently and wisely about their ideas. It's like, oh, great. We can actually have a conversation. It's yeah, perfect. Yeah. She she's what I would call, would you agree? She's what I would call a real progressive. Sometimes I try and explain this to people. There are some progressives who are not woke, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And and then and then I have people ask, well, what's the difference? What does that mean? And that's that's what I would describe her as real progressive. Anti-war, very skeptical of corporate media. Uh, mm -hmm. corporate yeah, and I think that it, what really makes the difference is, and I think sort of what you mean is she has her views she knows what they are based on she knows why she believes what she believes and she can express it that yeah. is just not true that's not the woke thing right i mean the woke thing is more of a and you, you speak at length about this you know and james Lindsay mm -hmm. talks about this it's it's um more of a cult thing where you're repeating talking points and you're part of an echo chamber you're not discussing why you think something you're not explaining what your beliefs are based on you know, yeah. you're just speaking what you're what you're told or what you're hearing. And that's very that's sort of how I've defined that woke idea as it's come to as it's sort of like um, evolved today. It's almost like uh, just the people who can't express why they believe why they have these views. They don't even know why they, just, they don't know why. And they want mm -hmm. to censor, which she doesn't. She said on the no. panel with you. Don't ban anything. <laughs> yeah, she's a total free speech, old school, stand up for what you believe in, know what you believe, why. I love yeah, I love that. That's yeah, that's my kind of person. And it doesn't matter if we agree or not, you know, because we agree on the real principles, the yes. real thing, you know. Uh self-expression, free speech. I'm very anti-war myself. Um and also the ability to express yourself in a thoughtful and clear way. Uh, and to understand that intellectual conversation um, is an area where you should be exploring all the ideas. There should never be a censorship of ideas. Yeah. Anything is up for grabs to explore, whether it's something that you end up agreeing with or something you don't agree with, it's all on the table to play with. 
you know, that's what we're, yeah. that's what we're there to do. So I like, I liked her quite a bit too. I did too. I see I'm Laura an fan. Me too. I was talking <laughs> with her before you guys went on. Um, and I didn't know who she was at the time. We were just having an uh, interesting conversation about changing neighborhoods in Harlem and Austin and other, you know, gentrification. Mm -hmm. And anyway, she was very interesting. And like Laura says in the chat, it's refreshing. It is refreshing. I wish that, I think that because woke has become so dominant now, a lot of people, especially if they're on the right, maybe they will say things like they think it's all the same. It's not. There are real progressives who are not woke and you may disagree with them on economic policy or other things, but they're not, they're not against free speech. So that was awesome. But mm -hmm. yeah, I like that too. So Plus it was I wanted, fun to perform live on stage in my hometown. Cool. At the Beacon Theater, no less. <laughs> what a Beacon great theater. theater. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, it was good. Was and cool. then all these other people came, like Alex Stein was there, the uh, comedian who does the goes to city councils, Billboard Chris. Mm -hmm. I saw Seamus from Freedom yeah. Tunes. Like it was just mm -hmm. a good people came together. It was awesome. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about, since it's still in the news, it's going to be in the news for a while, I think, because this is the thing people are talking about. Can you give an overview, if you wouldn't mind, of, of what the Roe v. Wade decision means? Because I see so many people online, well, admittedly, maybe a lot of leftists, but saying things about abortion being illegal now and women's rights are being taken away. Can you explain a little bit about what the ruling was? Sure. Um, it's no secret that we have some newly conservative uh, or new justices on the court who are conservative and who probably disagree with the concept of abortion entirely. However, their argument in overturning um, the ruling, uh, the 1973 um, Roe v. Wade ruling, the logic behind overturning it was that there is no right to abortion, as the um, Democrats would say, enshrined in the Constitution. The Roe decision actually cobbled together and inferred from several different amendments and principles in the Constitution that abortion is uh, legal and a right, therefore, uh, or not legal and a right, therefore, is a right and therefore is legal. Um, mm -hmm. The court, this court, looked at it and said the previous ruling that cobbled together this right out of a bunch of other amendments and ideas is actually incorrect. And anything that is not directly elucidated in the Constitution is meant to revert to decisions by state legislatures. That is what the Constitution says. If something is not um, enumerated herein, basically the states get to decide. So what the Supreme Court did was they said, the Roe ruling is overturned on the basis that this is not elucidated in the Constitution and should never have been said that it was, and now the states get to decide for themselves. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a states rights thing. And mm -hmm. I, I find it fascinating. Um, whether or not you agree with abortion, uh, for a long time I have often thought, you know, the... Um, the Roe decision was incorrect because it's clearly not in the Constitution. I mean, could you see Thomas Jefferson, um, Madison, Hamilton being like, you know what we really need to do? We really need to make sure that women have the codified right to terminate their pregnancies 
part in the, of the federal book. yeah that the federal in government the federal, needs to be involved you couldn't see that at all first of all um it was hard to have babies <laughs> like you die having babies you know it was a different time uh there was much higher maternal mortality but i don't think this was um i don't know a lot about the history of abortion going back to the colonial times i know a little bit more about it in terms of like um norwegian law oddly just because mm -hmm. i did a whole deep dive into Newt Hampson one time and I read like all of his books at once um but yeah so I think yeah so that's it it's a state's rights well, issue is what the court said yeah so you know who would agree with you about the Roe v Wade ruling is Ruth Bader Ginsburg mm -hmm. and I don't know if people are aware of that on the left but she's on the record talking I think it was at a, a law school about how she thought the ruling was flawed now and she's pro-choice but she thought the ruling was flawed and i think if she had do you think if she had been on this court she would have gone with the majority i'm not sure that's an interesting mm -hmm. question it's a question where the question is would rbg have gone in favor of the ruling that she knew was constitutionally correct or would she have been too overwhelmingly concerned about losing abortion access to do so. When I talk to women who are on the left, um, that is their conundrum, right? They look at it and it's like, yeah, and yeah. it really is a state's rights issue, but it's too important. You know, what I hear from people over and over is like, it's too important to let it um, just be left willy nilly up to the states. But what's interesting is the Congress had 50 years um, it's 50 years in 2023 uh, that this ruling has been um, on the books. They had mm -hmm. 50 years to create a law protecting abortion, allowing abortion to be legal federally, and they did not do it. In fact, after the draft ruling was leaked, that unprecedented leak from the Supreme Court in May, you had um, Chuck Schumer from New York, who I keep not voting for and he keeps getting reelected. And you had Nancy Pelosi from California uh, putting up the bill, the um, Women's Health, like Women's Health Act or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, this bill would have codified Roe into law, but it also went substantially further than most Americans would be comfortable in abortion mm -hmm. because given various circumstances, including a uh, mother's mental health, abortion would be legal under that bill up to the full nine months of pregnancy. There are very few people in the United States who are comfortable terminating a child up to nine months. Um, yeah. It and they really evil, especially since a child, as we know, um, infants who are born at 21 weeks even, can survive with medical assistance and those numbers keep going uh that age keeps getting lower and lower yes nine months is a baby yeah it's seven months is a baby you can terminate a pregnancy at seven months in oregon um it's clearly a baby six months why do you think why do you think, well, first of all, someone in the chat asked about feedback. It's not feedback. It's uh, Libby's son is talking with his friends. Oh, so I will tell him to be a little quiet. Hey, Charlie, <laughs> uh, every, everybody can hear you on the, on the live stream. <laughs> Hello, Charlie. Can you, 
can you take your voice down? My son's, my son's friend, my son's best friend is overseas for the entire summer with his family. Um, to see family. Um, yeah. in uh, in North Africa. So there's like very limited time when they get to talk. And so whenever it's a convenient <laughs> time, because he's with cousins and whatever else. So whenever yeah. it's a convenient time for his friend and their family, I just, I let them talk and they are playing Xbox remotely together. That's amazing. I, I just can't, have to, I mean, it's his very best friend. Yeah, of he's course. Of course. It doesn't bother yeah. me. Don't worry. I just I'm tell people what it is. Do not <laughs> worry about it. it. Yeah. Leon says, I don't mind the noises. It isn't too distracting. No, it's like talking oh, to a friend okay. and there are kids in, in the background. No. It doesn't matter. No. So okay. I have a question for you about, about this. You're talking about in Oregon, I think you said that, that people can abort up like at seven months, which is I mean, it's a baby. I, I saw Mike Sarnovich say something on on Twitter, I think it was Cernovich the other day that I agreed with. And he was sort of, he said, for me, it wasn't religion that changed my mind about abortion. It was actually seeing the ultrasounds of my baby. And he said, if, if, why can't Democrats, and why do you think, why can't people who are pro-abortion come to some compromise on, you know, after the first trimester, no, but before that, okay. Like why? Why is there no compromise? Why are they trying to push bills that allows for abortion? This is for the full this is my months? exact yeah. This is my exact same question. Why? Why do that? Why? Like why conceivably do that? Uh, there have been a number of bans that have gone into place. There have been um, across the U.S. some that went into place prior to the ruling in anticipation of it, and some that have been enacted afterwards. There are others that uh, went into effect in the event that Roe was overturned, they were already on the books. So this has happened across the country. And now we do have sort of this weird hodgepodge, right? There mm -hmm. are some states that say abortion is illegal after the first 15 weeks. I'm pretty sure this is very similar to lots and lots of places in Europe. Um, yes. And of course, they're like, oh, women don't get any more rights to abortion in the US or however you talk in Europe. And they, <laughs> um, and, uh, but and, they uh, have, they have their own, they rule. have I think the it's... exact same rules. They're very similar rules. Yeah. I so think it's 13 Florida, weeks. Yeah. Florida, 12, 13, 15. In Florida, DeSantis signed a bill that was supposed to go into effect, I think today, that was a 15 week abortion ban. And a judge put a hold on that. Now in Florida in 2021, there were almost 80,000 abortions. And that was up some 5,000 abortions from the previous year. And it was up ag again, like some 6,000 abortions from the previous year. Florida is like number three in the country in abortions. California doesn't even keep track. There's almost a million abortions in the US per year. I think I think 2021, forgive me if my numbers are a little off. I think it was something like 893,000 abortions in the US. That's a lot. Of abortions um, and California, as I said, doesn't keep track. They don't have any data on how many abortions they do. So the CDC keeps records on abortion by uh, collecting voluntary information. Like if you send your abortion stats to the CDC, they will record it. Why would but you they do don't that? Reach out. Yeah. Yeah. Why would yeah. you do that? California <laughs> doesn't. New York does. Florida does. Other lots of states do. Um, the Gutmacher Institute 
they actually reach out to every abortion provider in the country and say, how many abortions did you do? How many abortions did you do? So if you don't report it, if you're a clinic and you say, I don't want to report it, your numbers don't get included. But these are basically the two sets of statistics that we have, the CDC um, taking information that's given to them and gut matcher going after the information. So that's, that's sort of what we, that's sort of what we know. Now, my perspective is that Congress should do something reasonable if this is what the people want. Um, the reason I think that they haven't done anything in 50 years is because they do not believe that their constituents primarily want mm -hmm. it. The states that um, have secured abortion access uh, and made abortion legal. Like California. Are, like California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts. They're not going to change anything. Their constituents have made this clear. It's in the state constitution. It's in the state constitution in New York for sure. Our full governor keeps pointing that out. She's, she can do that if she wants. I hope she doesn't get elected again. But anyway, she didn't get elected the first time. So um, yeah, so those states are not gonna change their minds. I was actually talking to friends yesterday who were remarkably concerned. Uh, these are all all leftist smart people. I can talk to them. It's not, there's not any of this like, I can't talk to you because we disagree. No, we've been disagreeing for 20 years. We're going to keep great. disagreeing. It's no big deal. Um, these are like my oldest friends. So we were talking and they are all very concerned that um, contraception is going to be illegal next. And uh, they can't move out of the state or any of the states that have abortion as legal. Uh, all of these crazy concerns. And I was just like, you know, it's not, it's not really like that. New York has this, you're fine. Connecticut, New Jersey, every, like all of these places that yeah. um, these Northeastern liberal elites want to live, they're going to have it. They're going to have it. Like they don't want to yeah. move to Alabama. They never will. Never going to move <laughs> to Mississippi or even Oklahoma, you know, never yeah. going to happen. So is it, I think it's pretty interesting. But yeah, I think that I think the reason there's no compromise is because the constituents who are uh, pro-abortion do not want to compromise, and the constituents who uh, are completely opposed to abortion cannot compromise on moral grounds. Mm. It's sort of yeah. interesting. Yeah. Is it wrong of me that I sort of hope that this causes some people who might happen to be more woke to leave Texas? <laughs> <laughs> like that's an un unintended consequence maybe that I'm like, hey, I would be okay with it if you just, you know, cause Austin, as I mentioned at the beginning, I was talking with Margaret about it. Austin is changing a lot. And so when I first heard about this ruling, I was thinking, okay, good. They're going to, they could start making these handmade, uh, hand, you know, handmaid's tell posters and stuff about States like Texas. I'm like, great. Put those out there. Don't tell people not to come. It's just right. an awful dystopian handmade nightmare here <laughs> meanwhile like the biggest the biggest handmaid's tale similarity that i can see is uh surrogacy where you yes. pay a woman to rent her body and her biological material in order to take the baby and manufacture motherless children why are yes. we doing this what, is, what uh, i hate surrogacy so much i think it's just so um i think it's wrong not just to the women, but I mostly think it's really wrong. Uh, commercial surrogacy, commercial surrogacy. I'm not talking about, you know, 
your best friend, your sister, you want to help them out, create a family. I'm talking about paid, paid surrogacy, pregnancy as an industry, buying and selling women and babies as an industry. This is what I'm opposed to. Um, that I think is really, uh, it, I think it's bad for the kids too on top of everything else. Can you, no, I, I'm actually looking up an image that I think illustrates this very well. I saw local distance put this out. Um, and you know what? Surrogacy is not something I really thought about until the past year. And I've heard the libertarian argument that, you know, as long as people are consenting adults, what does it matter to you if they're being paid? Um, why is it that it bothers you that it's a, that it's a business of renting, I guess, the woman, <laughs> the woman's uh, room? I'm, I'm also not in favor of legalized prostitution. And I think that surrogacy is essentially prostitution, except you're getting screwed for nine months. Uh, okay. Yeah, I can also, see that. I think, yeah, there's also, um, when we talk about commercial surrogacy, we're talking about hiring a woman to undergo fertility treatments that have a huge impact on her body. Uh, fertility treatments, IVF, that is not easy on a woman to undergo. I can see if I was a mother and this was the way that I, um, that I had to conceive in order to have a child, I don't know that I would have gone through with that, but I certainly understand as a mother why somebody would want to do that and, and, and risk everything to do it. But it's not easy. Um, it's not even all, always safe. It's not even foolproof. So what happens mm -hmm. is with IVF, you undergo like all of these hormone treatments for months. You have your eggs extracted, which is also, um, which, you know, that's a whole procedure. And then you have um, the embryos implanted and they implant multiple at the same time in order to, you know, hope that one works out. You know, and you're carrying a child for this whole period of time. Pregnancy, um, pregnancy is not easy. It's really, really not easy. Uh, and to get paid to do that is tough. Also, you are required as a surrogate. This can't be your first pregnancy. So you have to have been pregnant before, which means that the people who are undergoing and becoming surrogates are already mothers. So now they are carrying children. They already have children at home. Mm. Um, in a lot of cases, they have, they have husbands and families. I feel like if I were, I feel like that would be divisive for a family. I feel like that undermines a family structure. My wife is carrying some other man's baby. That seems remarkably emasculating to me. I can see that breeding an awful lot of resentment. And then the idea too is that the mother, the surrogate mother is not meant to be bonding with the child who's in her womb. I don't know how you separate your emotions from what's going on in your body, which creates emotions. I mean, everything goes crazy. You know, you feel all these wild things all of the time. I think it would be horrifyingly depressing to feel like you cannot connect to the baby in your womb just in order to save yourself the excruciating pain of having to give the child away. Women talk about this. Women talk about how difficult it is. Also, the people who, um, you know, I know that there are plenty of surrogate families who hire surrogates who are good and solid families and what have you. But there's also plenty of cases that we see where that's not the case. There was a surrogate mom carrying um, triplets 
all three embryos took. Then she got word from the, the buyer that he only wanted two and she had to abort one and he wanted her to abort one. She said no, that she would not do it. It turned out this was a single man living in his parents' basement who had wow. hired a surrogate to deliver children to him. Now he has three children, single man uh, living in his parents' basement. She wants custody of them because, you know, she connected to these. It, I don't know how you don't connect. I don't mm -hmm. know how you don't connect. I mean, I guess it's part of, we see in like hookup culture, this whole idea where uh, you're supposed to be able to have casual sex without any emotions at all. Yes, that's what it's making me think of. That whole, that idea that I think it's a false idea that you can separate emotions from physical intimacy. And, and, and you're making me think It's almost masochistic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I was talking with friends about that uh, this past week, actually. I don't know if that's more of a female thing than it is a male thing, but personally, I know myself and other friends of mine that I've talked to women who sort of, I, I just think based on our conversations, their experiences, my experiences, it's sort of impossible to do that to, to, cause your, your body's releasing bonding chemicals, oxytocin, right. you release oxytocin when you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So then you give the child away. I, I don't know how the, so these are, these are concerns I have. Also, if you have a situation where like this single guy living in his parents' basement, there's no mother on the other side, you are intentionally creating children with no mothers. I think we would all agree that when a baby um, loses a mother, whether in childbirth, um, which essentially surrogacy is losing your mother in childbirth, uh, or whether you are, uh, there, was a, there was a young mother shot in the head just yesterday, I believe, in New York City, crossing the street with her three-month-old child in a stroller. Someone came up and shot her in the head. I think we can all agree that it is a tragedy for a child to lose their mother at any age and to grow up without that mother. And here we are advocating for childless, for motherless, motherless children to be yeah. born. And we're saying that this is some sort of great step forward. It's just, it's just not, I grew up substantially without my mom around. I saw her like on school breaks and stuff. I had a stepmom at home um, who, you know, worked very hard and, uh, did a, did a lot of good in raising me um, with, with values that I still hold up. But I missed my mom, you know, and mm. she was alive and she was there and I could access her on school breaks. So I just, it, there's a lot there, you know, yeah. and as a mom now, um, going through that and then not having a child at the end, I mean, the only the only reason to go through pregnancy is because you get this prize at the end, and then you get to hope that you can um, get to know that person their whole life and and watch them grow up and ideally end up surrounded by grandbabies, right? Like that's the that's the point. That's like the whole point of reproduction, as far as I can tell, is uh, creating and furthering love through the ages. Ideally, maybe yeah. I'm an idealist in that sense, but. Well, so How here's the image on the screen. Uh, Will Cold Distance tweeted this out, and and it's a picture of, of two men. It says, our maternity shoot, 
And they're in the foreground and they're looking in each other's eyes lovingly. And in the background, there's a woman dressed in red. I saw someone else Photoshop this. They put her in a handmaid's outfit, but she's a pregnant woman in red who's who's in the background holding her pregnant belly. And he said kind of what you said, treating women as nothing but baby incubators doesn't look mm-hmm. like the handmaid's tale. It looks like a maternity shoot with two men in the foreground and a nameless pregnant woman in the background, face covered, displayed as a decorative object. And blurred and, out. She's she's and, blurred out. Is she yeah. blurred out? No, not well, really. That's fine. not really, but she's back there kind of she's lurking. Yeah. There's our baby. It's in the back. It's coming. <laughs> and the way that she's looking down is so sad. Like this isn't even mine. I get to touch you for this period of time and no more. It's yeah. really so sad and depressing to me. It's an um, odd choice think, for a photo shoot, I yeah. think. I do think there's a difference if it's like, like I said, you know, um, my sister can't have children. I'm going to carry a child for her. No money exchanged. No money exchanged. I think that's a little different. Um, and I think also that is up to grown adults to decide what they want to do with their bodies. The issue with surrogacy, commercial surrogacy, is that we are creating an industry of buying women and harvesting children from their wombs. And it doesn't just happen in the U.S. It happens all over the world. There was a a story that I heard on um, Radiolab years and years ago. And the story was about an Israeli gay couple that um, decided they wanted to have a natural child. Mm -hmm. So they bought eggs from an Estonian woman. They mixed those eggs with their own sperm to create embryos. They implanted those embryos. Those embryos were then implanted in the body of an Indian woman who was in Nepal where she was going to birth the babies. Um, And the episode of Radiolab was called Cheap White Eggs. And that was the story. They wanted a white baby. So they bought cheap white eggs from Eastern Europe. Then they implanted them in an Indian woman who was in Nepal because in India, it is illegal to be a surrogate. Um, And in Nepal, surrogacy is illegal, is legal, but Nepalese women can't do it. So it was a very bizarre situation. And then there was a massive earthquake. I'm pretty sure this happened. And there was a massive earthquake in Nepal. The Israeli couple went to get their babies but the babies had no nationality. They weren't Israeli, they weren't Estonian, they weren't Indian, and they weren't Nepalese. Who are these children? Where are they yeah. from? What is their lineage? What is their culture? What are they coming from? We are divorcing these children from any stability of, of past. You know, they are just these free-floating whatevers created for the whims and hedonistic desires of um, people with money. People with money, yeah. Um, someone in the chat, I just wanted to highlight a couple of these comments. Well, first, here, let me do, thank you guys for the super chats. Inside of the Ages says, I can't, uh, we can't talk about this topic without mentioning the financial incentive of cost per pound. Fetal matter is big business. He's talking about abortion. Mm-hmm. And then... Tara. Thanks, Tara. Tara says abortion, birth control, and the fertility industry. I can never say this word. Can you say it? 
Bifurcate. Bifurcate. Okay. That's it. I want to say bifurcate the no. <laughs> bifurcate <laughs> sex from reproduction, which is a denial of biological reality. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree yeah. with that. Um, and there was another one. Uh, I don't know if I can find it now, but there was someone just talking about the money involved. It might have been dangerous, Rhett, if they were here. And just saying that, you know, in California, for example, I think they said it's $150,000 for a surrogate. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a money-making industry. Someone else asked, how does a guy living in the basement afford it? Well, he's saving on rent. So <laughs> <laughs> he's in his parents' basement. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. he's a coder. I don't know. I hear that's lucrative. I have no idea. You know, um, you, who you should talk to sometime, probably. I think you would, you guys would have an interesting conversation. Do you know Mary Lou Singleton? I don't think so, but I've heard that name before for sure. So, so I interviewed her recently. She did an event with me and uh, Megan Murphy uh, uh, called Women Leaving the Left. Now, oh, that's why I heard of it. I was like, okay. oh, damn, I wish I was going to this thing. <laughs> oh, it was great. Oh, we had crazy Austin protesters, but oh, Mary amazing. Lou's. Yeah, so she's so interesting. She's someone I would put in that same group as being an actual progressive. And she's been a midwife for for decades. She's She talked to me all about the history of midwifery, which I didn't know was pronounced that way, midwifery. And uh, she she talked about what you're talking about. When did, when did birth become like an industry that was regulated by the government and by d the medical establishment instead of just by midwives? When did abortion become uh, under the domain of government and, and the medical establishment and that kind of stuff? But she also had a lot of, she has just so much knowledge on IVF, on surrogacy, on all the things you're talking about. And mm -hmm. anyway, I think you guys would have a good conversation. But she, she told me about, I didn't know about IVF, about again, money's always involved, right? Like what a big money-making industry that is and, and the effects that it has on a woman's body, how they stimulate you. So you produce a lot of eggs at once, which mm -hmm. isn't yeah. natural. Um, yeah. And it's got to feel weird. Yeah. Just a, a lot of, a lot of things about it that I, I just wasn't aware of. So, well, thank you for talking about the abortion, like the legality, like what happened with the ruling. I, I have a question for you about culture because I keep wanting to have the conversation about abortion, not in this legal realm anyway. I want to talk about it culturally, what's happened. And when I try to do that online, it always devolves into people say, wanting to talk about the legality again. And I'm, I just am not as interested in that. I've, I'm more interested in, from my perspective, it seems that when I was younger, and I, I was always, you know, I was at the pro-choice marches and I was solidly pro-choice and I would argue with people online forever about it, defending choice. And um, I believed that the goal was to make it safe, legal, and rare. Mm -hmm. And I thought I don't, so too. Right. And I saw, oh, you did an excellent tweet thread about this. It doesn't seem that that's really the goal. And I think culturally we've reached a place where we're celebrating it as some achievement or some mm -hmm. evidence of empowerment. And can you talk a little bit about where are we at culturally on abortion? Yeah, I am with you. Uh, safe, legal, and rare was something that I, if not could get behind, could accept as a reasonable standard. 
um, I saw a video of an abortion when I was in eighth grade at my church when they wanted us to not get abortions ever. And it was remarkably effective. I was never, I went to Catholic school for a good while. Um, and I was never pro-abortion. I was never pro-abortion. But uh, when I moved in with my mom, when I was about 16, she was horrified that I was not uh, pro-choice, right? And so she talked to me at length about it. And I was like, I just think it's really bad. I think it's a really bad thing to do, you know, like no one should do this. And she said, okay, well, no one should do it, but safe, legal, and rare. And I gave that some substantial thought over the years. And I thought, okay, okay, safe. Nobody gets hurt other than obviously, you know, the subject of the abortion. Uh, legal, that way there's not a crazy black market in something that's dangerous. Rare, nobody should do it. If you do it, uh, you should have a really good reason. You should figure that out. Probably you shouldn't do it. Let's make it rare. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not going to, not going to be my voting issue. Um, I'm not in favor of it, but okay. Fine. That's where I was. And then several years ago, uh, we had Lindy West, I think wrote a book called pro. Yes. This right. And it was like, it was, it was not pro choice. It was literally pro abortion. If you look back at the founder of Planned Parenthood, she was a eugenicist who hated black people and thought there should be less poor people and black people in the US. Totally like terrible views, really terrible views. Planned Parenthood in the past few years has tried to distance themselves from those views. But if you use the logic of the left where we can't like the constitution because Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, how are we gonna back Planned Parenthood? Like really, this is, right. it's okay when it's Margaret Sanger, who's way more recent and just a racist eugenicist than it is right. for our founding documents from like way longer ago. Which which is it guys, where are you going with this? Yes. So yeah, so that's sort of interesting as well. Side note, Lindy West wrote Pro and I suddenly thought, now we're not talking about safe, legal and rare. We're talking about safe, legal and on demand. Yes. This is a different standard. Um, this is an unacceptable standard. Then we started seeing that in all of the, all of the really smarty pants magazines. You know, we started seeing it in New York Magazine and um, the Washington Post and all of these places that are like, oh, we're smart and elite and fascinating and intellectual, and it's reasonable to be in favor of abortion, um, mm. just so that your life isn't inconvenienced and you can maintain your lifestyle. And it turned out that when they talked about abortion as saving lives, a lot of what that meant was saving lifestyles. Abortion to save the lifestyle. To save lifestyles, mind you, that are probably not worth saving. Save lifestyles. Wow. Yes. Right? True. Though, culture, true. Total focus on career, hedonistic gravity. Yeah. All of this stuff. Uh, and we're saying, you know, being a mother is not great. It's, it's terrible. It's limiting. It stifles your potential, blah, blah, blah. None of that is true. My son is 12. Uh, you know, my example is not everyone's example. I'm very lucky how it worked out. Um, sort yeah. of, but anyway, you know, I wouldn't give that up for anything ever. That's not the point. Then we started seeing Oscar winning actresses going up on stage talking about how they never could have had their stupid careers in Hollywood. I know weren't that they had abortions. And it's like, girl, you just made the dumbest ass movie that I've ever seen. Yes. No one cares about it. 
it's dumb and you sacrificed how many lives for this i also it's started an absolute learning, yeah. celebration of narcissism celebration it's like of narcissism. i couldn't have done this gotten this award yeah. for this movie it's such a great thing that i aborted because i got this mm -hmm. to do this i got to pretend in a piece of entertainment i i got to be an actor something that lots of mothers do mm -hmm. you can be an actor we also heard recently from stevie nicks talking about how there would have been Fleet, no Fleetwood Mac if she hadn't gotten an abortion because oh, the lifestyle Stevie. was so hedonistic. I know, it was so disappointing. I love Stevie Nicks. I love Stevie Nicks. <laughs> no, Stevie. <laughs> I like to listen to Fleetwood Mac when I go on like long bike rides. You know, I find it, it's good. It's but now I can easy. see. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> easy listening. But, <laughs> but now it's like, and she talked about, you know, oh, she couldn't, she did a lot of drugs and Fleetwood Mac and how much more important it was to do drugs and fuck around. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Screw around. Anyway. And it's like, oh, okay. I mean, you could have just had one of these weird kids who grows up on the road and hates you later. Lots yeah. of people do that. <laughs> Mom, you were never there. You were hanging on cocaine and quaaludes. Well, I'm sorry, kid. I'll take care of the grandbabies. Yeah, that would, you know. Right. Or you could have had the baby and put the baby up for adoption. Like Joni Mitchell you know, did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could so, have said, you know yeah. what? I'm not fit to be a parent. I shouldn't have gotten pregnant. But I'm going to give this baby a chance with someone else. Like, that's, I don't yeah. know. That's so poo-pooed. I don't know why adoption has become such a a thing now where it's like, I don't even hear people talking about it very much anymore. Um, well, but, remember they came after Amy, Amy Coney Barrett for having adopted children from Haiti. Oh, and yeah. they were like, you're racist because you adopted black children. It's like, what? what? Does, I adopted children sense. that I loved. Yeah. But they are my children now. <laughs> Yeah, you can't win with you can't win with social justice you know, people. Yeah, social justice. But yeah, so that, that I think was a big deal—the switch from safe, legal, and rare to shout your abortion was quite the cultural leap. And I also, in the past few years, have heard from a lot more women who um, were coerced into their abortions by their romantic partners mm. and didn't want to give up their children, but did. Mm -hmm. I've because certainly they wanted noticed. To, they wanted to keep the man, you know? They and then, of course, the they man. didn't. I mean, they didn't keep it. In all of the cases I'm thinking of, that man is gone. And good. Like, don't keep yeah. that man. But, yeah. Yeah, as you said, a lifestyle not worth preserving anyway. That's right. Yeah. Um. I Well, I've certainly noticed. I've talked about this before. But I, I have similar observations is is that if we've reached a place culturally where that's what i'm more interested in what are we teaching kids that it's it's no i mean at the very least it's treated as something no different than having your tonsils removed like there's mm -hmm. no weighty choice oh you're just going in for this procedure it's like eh, no big deal you're ending a life like mm -hmm. it's a weighty decision it is and it's 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 different than having your tonsils removed that's at the right. very least at worst, I've seen um, on TikTok and other places, I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen these young women just making a total mockery of it and doing videos. There was the one video with the girls pretending. She's like, oh, guys, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm pregnant. Hey. She's pretending. And then she has this demonic look come over her face. She's like, just kidding. I'm a boarding match. Starts pouring a glass of champagne and drinking it and um, just really sort of 
I don't know what ghoulish displays of um, irreverence maybe is the right word towards, mm -hmm. towards the, uh, the act of abortion. And, and so I don't like where we're at culturally at all. And now I'm at the place also Libby, where I don't even, you know, the past two years I found out I, I was naive. I found out that a lot of the so-called pro-choice people, they're not pro-choice at all. They, they hide behind that argument. They're not pro-choice. They don't care about the autonomy of a, a body and being able to make your own medical decisions because they said nothing or they supported vaccine mandates and mass mandates. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. So though a big majority of the so-called pro-choice movement, they're not even pro-choice. They're liars. They're pro-abortion. So I, I don't want to be associated with them anymore. I, yeah, I don't know they what to want call to tell you what to do with your body when it's convenient for them, and they want you to not tell them what they need to do with their bodies. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. If it's my body, my choice, then why do I have to do what you say with my body? Like, it just it doesn't make any sense. No, it, but it, but I mean that brings up also the 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 logical fallacy of so many of these woke arguments and what we were talking about with real progressives who actually have a foundation for what they believe in and why. Hmm. Um, I think that a lot of, I, I think that there are pro-choice people who are also opposed to vaccine mandates and would say, get a vaccine if you choose to. Yes. There are some, uh, principled people on the left. Yeah. And that's and a much, that's a much more different argument. Yes. And I respect that because they're consistent because they actually mm -hmm. mean what they say and they've thought it through and they're, they're not just spouting pro-choice when it suits me. But public health, I must force this other thing on you when it suits them. Like, mm -hmm. I'm so done with it. I'm so, also done with it. Yeah. I know that you have to go soon. Cameron Pasha is going to be joining in a few minutes. Um, I don't know if you've met him. Can I ask you your opinion on one last thing before you go? Yeah, sure. Okay. Let me put this on the screen. Now, this might get me in trouble because I'm going to make a moral judgment. Another moral judgment. <laughs> I've well, learned so we're not. You know what your morality is. You're you yeah. Make a moral judgment. It's making moral judgments while claiming that you have no moral foundation. That you're in trouble. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm starting to think. Like bring back moral judgments if you know if you know what it's founded on. That's a good. Oh, is this our caveat. is this our new Biden administration official? Yes, this is the new. Oh, uh, he's in nuclear charge of something? nuclear waste. Yeah, nuclear waste. Well, it's in the yeah, it's good that waste department. is in the title, you know. So <laughs> waste, something about spent waste, <laughs> right? Nuclear fuel rods and things. Meanwhile, like yeah. Gavin Newsom is trying to shut down all the all the nuclear reactors. So my opinion on this is, um, this is this is an adult's choice. They can make the choices they want. Um, the Biden administration's view on this is that this is a diversity hire. Mm -hmm. White men. Are diversity hires so long as they have the right kind of sexual kinks yes so mm -hmm. this my feeling on this is this is sam brenton that's his name he's being celebrated right now because he just got this biden appointment and it, uh, people were asking me why do you care why do you care when a consenting adults do in the bedroom why do you care how does it affect his job and I tried to articulate it. Here's why I care. And you can tell me if there's any holes in this argument. I care because this isn't private. He, he published these photos. He, he publicizes this. This is in magazines. And for anybody who's just listening, it's a picture of him. And he's engaged in one of his fetishes that he calls pup play. And it's 
he's there with a man who's got a dog mask on and a dildo shaped like a tail up his bum. And then, you know, this is, he pretends to be the owner. This guy pretends to be a dog. And then there's sex involved. Usually Um, it's in a magazine. It was in Metro weekly. I care because it's not (laughs) private and because this sort of aberrant sexual behavior, these kinks, these fetishes, they're now being in our culture. It's like, well, now we celebrate you, you know, put it out in the public. We all want to see. And now you're this brave and stunning diversity hire, right? Because of this. Yeah. Well, the issue that I have with this, um, I mean, these fellas can do what they want. I don't have any um, standing to get in their way. And nor would I, I don't want people coming in and telling me how to run my life either. Um, But I do not understand why sexual fetishes are being celebrated. They have become intertwined with pride. And to me, pride when I was younger, except gays and lesbians, it's, it's like, there's not a lot of control you have over your sexual orientation. And I have no issue with anyone's sexual orientation but once kink was brought into the fold and um you see this this pup play thing going on at pride and the twerking for kids and all of this stuff it it doesn't seem like um a situation where our better selves are being upheld yes and i don't know why that's what we want to do it used to be that if you wanted to engage in fetish play and kink you would go to a nightclub and do that you can go do all of the things you want to do i don't know why we have to put them on the front pages of things like the new york times and the other thing too going back to the concept of a consistent value system consistent perspective how does biden justify having white men as diversity hires it doesn't make any sense this guy is a young man, right? What is he, 30s maybe? 30s. He's pretty young. Yeah. Uh, he's a white male diversity hire in the nuclear energy industry. Rachel Levine is a white middle-aged male doctor, fathered a bunch of kids, was already married, and now parades his kink around and is praised for it. And it's this, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, how is Rachel Levine a diversity hire? middle-aged white male doctor in a dress it's the kink the kink kink. is the diversity and i don't have any um i don't have any time for that i don't think it's legitimate to call these people diversity hires um you know i just think it's a it's an upside down of of it's evidence to me that as a culture we've gotten we're at a place it's just an upside down world where instead of celebrating truth goodness beauty we're celebrating the opposite and all those mm-hmm. things that's and and we're in a place where like let me show you one more i know somebody said take that off the screen but one more this is the other reason i care is because this is sam brenton and he's teaching he goes to universities i think this is at the university of nebraska in omaha um he's also been at university of wisconsin he teaches kink 101 and I don't like, there's these men That's on the, the class. Floor. The class is kink 101. Kink 101 or the physics of kink. And the, are these men in the dog mass? Are they students? I don't know, but either way it's this to me, this is the absolute state of our higher 
education at the moment is that this guy is yeah celebrated brought to campuses let's do a class for you 19 year olds on you know King. On when King. i was in college i went to uh i went to sarah lawrence college a traditionally very far lefty school and i took a literature class on uh what was it like i think it was like the excremental in western literature <laughs> oh my goodness that sounds like one of my classes worse than my classes <laughs> and it was we read stendhal and norman mailer we read thomas pynchon's gravity's rainbow we read some really interesting books and we looked at them from this weirdo perspective of um of of poop we looked at them from the perspective of poop and it was legitimately fascinating um, but at no, at no point did my professor bring in a bucket and suggest we all get comfy shitting in front of each other. So I don't understand why there's the practicum. Like, do you need the kink practicum on top of everything else? Also, yeah. go teach that at Bennington. Like, teach that at Bennington. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, uh, yeah. thank you for thank you for talking about that with me. I just. I'm still trying to figure out why or how to express why I think there's something wrong with that. I mean, in this guy's case, I also have a problem with him in particular because his he's got this story. I don't know if you've looked into Sam Britton, but he has a story about how he was forced to go to gay conversion therapy and he's testified. Uh, I think it was before the Human Rights Council or something. He's testified before. You can find his testimony on YouTube. But his story falls apart. He's He's been caught in numerous lies. He said it was a doctor, but he couldn't say where or who the doctor was or where it happened. Then later he said, well, it wasn't a doctor. It was a religious therapist, but he can't say who or where it happened. And he built his sort of his public fame on this, on the back of this narrative or the back of this, this story about having, having been forced into gay conversion therapy. And this is why Christians are awful, Right. But it's not true. He's got so many holes in it. And so I, I have a problem with him in particular because I think he's got a history of this is why I'm worried that he's in this high position because he has a history of lying. He has a history of exhibitionism. He clearly wants his, everyone to see his kink and he thinks it makes him special and great. And that, right. I just, and the butt I of his partner, too, apparently. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. I can't get that picture out of my head. I'm just like imagining that tail. I'm like, sorry. Ugh. I'm sorry. I put it on the screen, guys. <laughs> Well, Unpleasant, um, Gary. <laughs> uh, oh, Cameron, you came in just in time. We got done with the gross stuff. Cameron Pasha, Libby Emmons. Libby Emmons, what a, what a delight and honor to meet you. I, I was I was super out of the chat for just a little bit, so I saw some of some of the very interesting stuff that you guys were talking about. <laughs> and I'm glad to come in after that's over because you know I've got people from Hollywood watching and keeping <laughs> careful Ooh. eye of what I'm saying on this channel. So whatever. <laughs> Yeah. But what a delight and honor to meet you both. And I carry on. And Pleasure. Carrie's got the red hat. Red's my favorite color. Oh. Like Taylor Swift, red is my favorite color. Oh, she and okay. I share that in common. I'm Yeah, my husband, I get to go with him to work again today. I'm going to a show right after this. So. Well, you oh, married a rock awesome. star. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That would be so that's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's no better job than being a rock star. If I could go back in time, like a hot tub time machine, I'd go to early Cameron and say, you know, forget this screenwriting crap. Go learn how to play the guitar and just do that. That's the best job in the world, right? Ten thousand hours, yeah. yeah. Right. Um. So, do you guys know each other? 
I don't think so. No, our paths have not crossed, but I have seen Libby on, on channels before, so it's a delight. Libby I don't know if you've seen me before. I'm this random traditional Muslim guy who's gone into YouTube and <laughs> and said a lot of things that people can interpret as very conservative, which shocks people because I'm a working screenwriter in Hollywood. I've been in industry for 21 years, and I'm still there, and I'm actually creating stuff. So uh, oh, cool. uh, a lot of times I'm a little bit like, which one of these is not like the other? And that's been my whole right. career. And so here I am. Yeah, cool. So Libby, you just let us know when I, you have to go. I, I yeah, should go. go. Okay. Well, tell everyone where okay. they can find you. Mm -hmm. uh, I am at Libby Emmons on Twitter, and I'm up at the Post Millennial every day. Yep. Thank you, lady. Thanks. Take care. See you later. Have a good weekend. Bye. It's a holiday Thank weekend. Thank you, too. And happy fourth, you guys. Yeah. Happy, happy fourth. fourth. Happy well, that's fourth. red. I didn't even think of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah happy my favorite fourth. holiday. Okay. All right. Bye. God bless you. Pleasure meeting you. Take care. Well, that yeah, transition, well, well, one one ship passing the that. other. Okay. That's okay. awesome. It worked out perfectly. You're managing, you're managing this perfectly. You're a master host. I Hostess. wanted to mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you. Well, actually, let me read a couple of these yeah. super chats really fast. Yeah. This was uh thank you. Inside of the ages gave another super chat and said the cost per pound is a late term reason. Yeah, maybe. I haven't really thought much about it. Okay. I, I I will admit I have a lot of ignorance about um about the the market for uh, fetal tissue and stuff, but I know it happens. Oh yeah. I'm glad I wasn't in, in for that part of the whole session. I was like, yep. Yeah. Well, I got a lot of work to do and I don't need those images in my head today. Yep. Yeah. Oh, uh, this was not a super chat. I was going to read it for Livy though. Mm -hmm. I like Livy telling it how it is. Keep kicking ass girl. Thank you, Sonora. Uh, pirate Tomsky finally joined us. Hello pirate. He says, what the hell did I just walk into? Yeah, <laughs> that happened. Sorry. Sorry for the images. Um, Sonora Baptiste. $10 super chat. Thank you, sir. He says, if my dad were alive today, he would be very disturbed by all this nonsense going on. Maybe spinning in his grave right now. Shout out to you, Carrie. And oh, especially Miss Libby. I'm going to send this. I'm going to screenshot this and send it to her, Sonora, since I didn't get to read it while she was here. And um, and then let's see. Oh, Dion says, Cameron is the king of happy energy. <laughs> you are. You, you light up the room. Well, I love having I you take, here. I've got, I've got, I've got to because I'm constantly being punched in the face by this town. But it's, but it's changing. Thankfully, it's changing. It's getting better. Yeah. Now. Can I ask you? We don't have mm -hmm. to. We don't have to put any of those images on the screen anymore. Anything. Mm -hmm. I just was thinking about this today. I've been thinking about it for a while. You don't mind spiritual discussions? No. Could could we bring back moral judgment? I, I think we got to a place where we, we were sort of like any moral judgment is bad. And we shouldn't make any moral judgments on people. That's a bad thing. And I don't, I just realized this morning, I don't think that's true. I think we should be making moral judgments. Well, it goes back to Kant and some of the great philosophers, right? That is there objective morality, right? And Kant would argue that there is, right? Others, others would argue. So we will humanities have been arguing about this from the beginning, right? Uh, you know, let's see about the where did this origin of, of subjectivism begin, or at least, you know, the, the idea of morality. It started from a good place where a lot of, I think, progressive values start from a good place. Like maybe races are equal. Okay. Well, maybe this race is better than that race, right? It ends up being flipping. So it's the original progressivist thing that began the conversation about values being subjective, right, is from a place of there, there are ideas. We have a big world, you know, 
in some countries there's polygamy in some in many countries there's monogamy right what is the age of marriage in this country and in that country is sexuality should people be allowed to have sex outside of marriage should the state be involved in that so there's a variety of opinions on all these issues on the planet right and so to address them i think initially people were like well look you know the value you have here in america isn't necessarily the value somebody has in timbuktu and that's true however there are largely universal values yes. that that have allowed human civilization to continue, right? And so when you get down to the core of it, there are certain ideas that don't work and they simply don't survive one generation. And we're actually in that generation right now where we've espoused a lot of ideas that by definition cannot survive the generation because yes. they, have, they need to people not reproducing, which makes the idea go away. <laughs> and so, you know. Yes, it, it, will, it will have well, very the, real world consequences. <laughs> so, so that's again, so the, uh, the, the impulse to understand that we have different, some a range of values on certain issues, right? Uh, and that they rise from historical things because you know, for example, monogamy arose in the Greco-Roman culture, not as anything to help women, even though we now perceive monogamy as something to make, you know, make it actually rose as a means of controlling property rights. You would have one wife that was your legal wife and your children from that line would be legitimate, but you would have these mistresses and, the, and those kids would be illegitimate and they would be deprived of property rights. Whereas in the Middle East, and this is not just Islam, we're talking about biblical times, you know, you have, you know, the Bible, they're, they're polygamous. Abraham is multiple wives, Moses does, it's normal. In that place, you had regulated polygamy where all the children were legitimate and they had property claims and all of this. And so that was a different way of organizing that system. In both situations, you had one man who had multiple women. It was just a different legal structure around it, right? And different concept of legitimacy. So the pattern repeated itself. The legal structure was different, but the human pattern is still there, right? And so that's mm -hmm. what we have to acknowledge. The pattern of having multiple one man. Well, historically, women. yes. Throughout throughout history, historically there have been harems throughout the world. There's usually, I mean, again, this may be uncomfortable now for you, but one man with multiple <laughs> is is something that has historically existed. And even in Europe, even in Christian countries throughout the Middle Ages, you would have one wife and you would have your mistress, right? We don't have a concept of mistress in Islam. The idea is incomprehensible to us because the idea of one line of your children being legitimate and one line being illegitimate is insane, right? Uh, and so, but I'm saying that 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 idea and again, this is now now here now we got we start off with an uncomfortable place. So it, in Islam, do you have do they have multiple wives? Yeah, yeah, well, polygamy yeah, does yeah, right. exist. Polygamy oh, right, does exist. It's a very regulated form of polygamy, which people don't realize. It's uh, you know, the Quran, number one, the Quran says. Monogamy is better. It actually says that. It says that you, you, you'll never be able to treat your wives equally. But, you know, polygamy is that's the norm. That's what I well. thought. So that's why yeah. I was having this. It, it, it says that monogamy is better. It says that. Uh, it also says if polygamy exists, which was widespread in the world and is widespread today, right? I've met polygamous families. I've stayed in their homes, right, in, in Africa. And so how do you regulate that? Well, first you put a limit. Before, a man could have 100 wives. Like Solomon, Solomon had like, like uh, 300 wives and several hundred concubines, right, you know, in the Bible. And so put a limit. Okay. Can't have more than four. And the way you have, you can't have more than four. Here's the rule. Here's the rule is they all have to be treated equally. So you have your two wives. Each wife gets her own house. If you give wife number one a pearl necklace as a birthday gift, you have to give the exact kind of pearl necklace to wife number two. The idea of making these restrictions so onerous that it, it starts leaving the system, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which, which is largely polygamy is is not normal in the Muslim world today. It's only the incredibly wealthy who can afford. Uh, each one of my wives gets a villa and a, and, a, and a car and whatever, and they all, 
so you don't see it very commonly. You'll see it in like places like Dubai or whatever. You've got all these rich oil sheiks or whatever. Uh, and you'll see it in places like Africa, like where I've been to, where everyone is just equally poor. So you don't have to worry about your wife getting a house because they're all like sharing like two bedrooms in this little hut, right? <laughs> Uh, which I stayed in with with my, you know, uh, I went there once and, you know, with my mom and with my Sufi spiritual teachers and the family we were staying with was polygamous. And my mom, you know, is Pakistani, religious Muslim. She's like, polygamy? What is this? I mean, that's not really a thing in Pakistan very much anymore. So she asked, she actually asked the head wife, she's like, are you okay with this? Is your husband oppressing you? Right. She's like, because she's like, tell me, I mean, this is because polygamy and 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 the and the eld the eldest wife, she's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Isn't this normal? She's like, no, we don't we do this in Pakistan anymore. She's like, well, I chose the other three, you know, because all the women in the village were like, yeah, your husband you know, making a lot of money. So he can't even support one wife. I guess I guess he's poor. Right. So she chose these other three who basically are, you know, they, they take care of the kids. They run. She's the queen. They're 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 basically running the household. She don't want to she don't want to have sex with him. She you know, go have sex with that, uh, that one. Right. She's the one. She's the one absolutely in charge of the women. Right. This Which reminds is, actually, me of Big Love. Yeah. Big the Love. TV well, show. I mean, well, the fascinating the... thing with, with the Mormon tradition was this was the first effort within I mean, Mormons will call themselves Christians. Other others may disagree, but they certainly see themselves as Christian. And it's the first element that calls itself Christian, reintroducing polygamy, which had largely left the system in, in you know, in the, by the third century. So, what do you think? You said mm -hmm. we're introducing an uncomfortable conversation. Well, I, I, be I believe it. Friends don't think polygamy is a right. good thing. I, I don't. Immoral. I think it's yeah. immoral. But yeah. what do you think? We have a different opinion there. So yeah. Oh, we do. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay, I, I didn't know. Like, I, I I wouldn't stay with my family's friends if I thought polygamy was immoral, right? Uh, I think all I can see is the ones I saw in in Africa were very happy people. And you know, I mean, I, I would stay with the polygamous even if I thought it was immoral. I hang out with people yeah. who do things I think is immoral. I know you do. Your thing. Like, but I I, yeah. I mean, look. I mean, it's like for me, it's like saying Abraham was immoral. He had multiple wives. Moses was immoral. I mean, the historical origin of polygamy, of, or of monogamy, because polygamy is the Bible, right? In the New Testament, we see the rise of monogamy. But all I can say, and, and it's not for me to tell you how to interpret this as a Christian, but just looking at the historical reality of Christianity spreading in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire was monogamous, which was not the structure of the Middle East, right? The Roman Empire was monogamous, and so... Christians showing up in Rome saying, I'm going to have three wives, like the Jews of, of Jesus's time would have three wives, right? You know, the, the apostles showing up there, that ain't going to work there. They're just going to get arrested, right? And so very quickly, it became something that wasn't even an idea in Christianity. Whereas when Jesus was around, multiple wives were normal. I mean, it wasn't so, controversial to, to the people of his time in his environment. I, oh, I, I'm not arguing with that. I know yeah. I know it was, it was around and everything, but mm -hmm. I, I believe he talked about you know, one man created for one woman. And, and I just believe here when I, when I started reading the Bible mm -hmm. a few years ago and sort of, I, I had this, this sort of this recognition that what if all of these guidelines, right. That I always thought of as restrictions, what if they're actually, what if the, they're in there because over time, this is the best way of living and God's trying to lay a path for you of like, this is the, the best way to be in the world. And so whether it comes, it, you know, something like don't lie, yeah. it, it's in the Bible. Why do you think it's in the Bible? Well, Correct. and if you're you lying. do lie, if your wife says, does this make me look fat? Should you lie to her? Yeah. I mean, no, no. Well, you and I've talked about this before and I remember I disagree with you. I don't think you, I don't think you lie to her. If she says, does this make me look fat? Oh, man. If I took the advice from women about how to treat them. <laughs> I'm the one, I'm no. Like, oh, tell her she looks fat. Yeah, that's not going to no, work out. Because when I ask my husband that question, I want a real answer. I want to know I can trust him. So when he says no, 
that I can believe it. And when he says, yes, I can believe it. Okay. Well then this isn't the dress for me today. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I, I need that truth because I, I can't have, yeah. But, no, that's a fair comment, but I just want to go back yeah. to the concept of, okay. of, for example, you know, in what we do know is the majority of the world still, not just in Africa, majority of the Western world, we still have a, a, a larger number of women than men. I think in most societies, it's a 51 to 52% women to 48% men. So what do you do with the extra three to 4% of women uh, in a monogamous society? Did they get married? In Europe, that was solved. They became nuns. That, they either became mistresses or they became nuns. That was the solution. Um, so those of us not in that tradition were like, so one, you never have kids, and one is you end up being this sort of throwaway side bang. That doesn't seem like a moral solution to this to this imbalance. Mm -hmm. Well, so, I mean, there, there is, but again, that's. Do you something think that, though that mm -hmm. I guess what I was leading to yes. with that yeah. example of uh, realizing, at least for me, I started thinking, what if all these guidelines are just pointing you towards the best way of living, and and the thought I would have about polygamy yeah. is, uh, I don't know, <clears throat> I don't know of a lot of. I just, I just think it's rife for bitterness, jealousy. The like you said, the Quran said it's you can't pay equal attention to your wives, and and I don't know a lot of polygamous people. I do know a lot of uh, the this sort of new age um, polyamorous, polyamorous, where they're not married to multiple people, but they have yeah, they're just banging partners. and loving each other, and you know, right? And they're like, this is my partner, and the, yeah, 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 or or. Uh, I know someone who they're married, but then they have a live-in girlfriend and they have other girl. Yeah. And anyway, there's always, always, it seems there's always strife. Sure. And so. And, and that's, and that's human. That's like within my tradition, the Quran says it is better to be monogamous. Right. Uh, and right. Uh, it, it is, God prefers this. Right. At the same time, there's practical out of the world. Uh, I, I will say that I think a lot of women are actually, you know, would be perfectly happy with being JFK Jr.'s third wife than rather than marrying some random bozo, right? Mm -hmm. I think what's been interesting is that the fascinating phenomenon historically has been, it has not been women that have pushed for monogamy, it's been men. Because there is something, and I see some of the chat talking about it, there is, a fun, there is an element of, the, you see, now we say about balancing women, so there's a, there's a cost, right? So you've got more women in society. Well, now all the women are married. Okay, so they're all taken care of, especially you know, especially in where we don't have a socialized state where it's going to take care of them. Either they're either the church, either they're in a nun, either they're working in a convent, or their husband or their their married lover is taking care of them. Someone's taking care of them. But what do you do in a situation with polygamy? One of one of the consequences of it, and I'm being very honest about it, is that now suddenly JFK Jr. gets all the girls, right? So what about the average guy who's not getting the girl? He's something really angry. He's got a lot of. He's pissed off, right? And that can lead to violence. It can lead to it can lead to rape. It can lead to physical violence. And often those societies will become very militarized. So there is an argument that uh, monogamy was introduced by men to stop intermale competition rather than female, and because that was disrupting their societies. Uh, you know, so they weren't fighting over how, who gets the woman. Uh, they they're like, well, you're stuck with one, and you know, you can have a side piece, but that's the way it works. I think Jordan Peterson has talked about this. Do you remember when he got? They smeared him in the press. The New York Times smeared him and said he was he was arguing in, in uh, on behalf of enforced monogamy, like enforced by the state. He wasn't mm -hmm. talking about it by with the state forcing monogamy. He was. Well, I don't think marriage should be a state issue, right? I mean, he was Islam talking about culturally enforced. Yeah, no, it's not state issue. Yeah, yeah, but he was talking about culturally enforced monogamy, and this very mm -hmm. thing that you're talking about is that it mm -hmm. it puts a stop to some um, intermal conflict. Yeah. And so these are these are look, these are practical things. Uh, you know, we are as human beings and, and this is this is a 
this is each of our traditions is attempting to handle the world as we find it and try to make it better. And uh, and each of them has a cost benefit analysis because there's a side of us as we both are religious people. There's a side of us that is divine, that is like unto the angels, that is aiming for this wondrous union with that is beyond matter. And then there's there's a side of us that is matter, that is physical body, that is desire. Uh, there's a side of us. You know, that is that is uh, evolutionary psychology where every man wants to spread his gene at his basis level to as many women as possible. Every woman wants to get the best genes while also getting a pr protector. And that may not be the same guy. So those are the evolutionary psychology pressures that we have in the dating scene and the game scene. Right. Uh, and all of that. They're part of being human. And so all of our traditions are trying to make it work. What does not work are these new wokey solutions. Because mm -hmm. these are all monogamy, polygamy. These are debates that have gone on for several thousand years and are continuing today, right? And they're, they're traditions that have been passed on because they work for those societies, right? The stuff right. that's been created today is not passable. It, it will not survive another generation. You know, mm -hmm. I'm looking at all my, you know, I just had to get rid of somebody off of my Facebook who was driving me crazy because, you know, I posted I liked Elvis. And this person just came on and was like, do you know Elvis was, you know, he started dating Priscilla when she was 14 and he was a pedophile, blah, 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 blah. I was like, well, you know, the value system in 1956 was very different from today, right? She's like, that's mm -hmm. unacceptable. I was like, and finally, after a while, I was like, this is somebody I know who's basically, you know, 45 year old, unmarried, angry feminist who I've known for quite some uh... time. I was like, you know what? You know, Priscilla seems to be perfectly happy to be Elvis's, you know, <laughs> the bearer of his child. And she takes her entire public persona as I'm Elvis's ex-wife, right? And right. so so maybe you should just let Priscilla make the value judgment on that. You uh, will and, never find a perfect human, by the way. Like, I think it's more about patterns of behavior than about, you know, Martin Luther King what? Jr. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, he's banging everybody. He's banging <laughs> everyone. Yeah. But then he they also had to do did. that in Malcolm X. Yeah. They actually have a great scene in Spike Lee's Malcolm X, which is one of my favorite movies, where Malcolm is actually a very dedicated family man. Which people, he was very dedicated. He, didn't, he was a handsome guy and he, a lot of women chasing him, but he was dedicated to his wife. And there's a great scene near the end when he knows he's going to be assassinated. He knows it's coming. And he calls his wife from a hotel room and he's basically telling her how much he loves her and misses his daughters, right? And he's going to be killed the next day. And then we switch from the only time we see that the FBI has been monitoring him. There's only one moment in the film. We see that there's, the FBI is taping the phone call and these two FBI agents are laughing. They're like, this guy's a monk compared to Martin Luther King. Like, <laughs> we're taping King and we're having fun watching his parties. This, this guy's a bore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he took his beliefs very seriously. Yeah. That's what I appreciate, though, is I really appreciate people who take their beliefs sincerely and practice them and um yeah so I, I really want to go back and watch that movie so, so when i have my four so, wives so here are my four <laughs> wives. so when i got because i've been thinking about this okay if i if i get my four wives i'll have a nice lovely bosnian wife nice lovely turkish wife maybe a nice iranian wife and i love oh indonesian women so there's four muslim countries so you know uh i was don't like, you have so to you get one stuff? wife first you're already planning for yeah, the so four. if i'm gonna do it, it's all, all or nothing maybe it's all nothing right it's all or nothing so you're gonna come hang out with me in my little like you know how this compound where each of my wives has their houses i'll right? come stay I've actually with you. At one in morocco i think it's more like i'll come stay with you I, if, if, I don't get that whole sort of like if you don't hang out with people who do immoral things it's sort of like well then who immoral you, you hang out with yourself no, but I mean, do you think, it, you think it, Abraham it, was immoral? Do you think Abraham was immoral? Seriously, do you think Moses was immoral? They wouldn't. They were like, "What are you talking about? What is?" Moses? I do, but they didn't think so. Thing is, was okay with them. But the thing is, like, my my point is, whatever yeah. a, a person's own opinions are, right? About like, well, that person's doing something immoral. Yeah. Um, if you yeah. were to say, "Well, I'm not going to break bread with them or hang out," then how do you even hang out with yourself? 
because he's famous for it. He's hanging out with prostitutes and, and exactly. these tax collectors everybody hates and whatever. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. and 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 also if your if your belief is strong, it's like it shouldn't be. I don't know. I at least in my experience, and I've only been a Christian a few years, but it's not rocked by hanging out with someone who has a different well, belief yeah, than me. Because you're secure in your faith, right? I mean, we've talked right. about this. There's a difference between belief and faith. Belief is a is is commitment to a series of ideas which can be challenged and might be inaccurate and may fall apart. And then if that's all you got, you got nothing, right? Faith mm -hmm. is an internal experience of a relationship with the cosmos, with God, with the creator, that you know you can learn and grow. And your ideas might change about your own beliefs as a person. True. Yes. Your relationship with God doesn't change. True. True. I really enjoy talking with you, Cameron. You you it's somebody said, and and you're willing to have these kind of conversations with me. Um, so glad I got to catch a live stream with Cameron. Oh yeah, and... I, I knew, I'm trying, me trying to have a conversation about polygamy with my liberal Hollywood friends. Oh my God. Can I tell you one, one incident? Mm -hmm. uh, it, when I was working on it, uh, I was actually working with Oliver Stone on a project that never got on the air. It would have been an incredible project. We were developing a project together about, about Guantanamo Bay and about the, there's still people there 20 years later. People like, there's just people being held there like, you know, without trial for 20 years, right? Start off when they were 18 and now they're like in their forties or whatever. So wow. we're doing it, we're, we're looking, you know, where we were we were fictionalizing one of the actual cases that happened and we were developing a drama for showtime and and this drama was killed because one of the people that was at least listed on the masthead as being a producer on the show even i never met him was harvey weinstein and so he was killed right when the Weinstein uh, started happening okay. but but one of my colleagues on the show was wokey 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 woke. she was infamously woke right she's one she's one of these people is not you know she's one of these people that will lecture you about being vegan you know, okay. uh, she had she had she had like a pit bull that was attacking other people's dogs, and she blamed other people's dogs. I mean, she but she's got to protect. She's got to save the pit bull, right? There's nothing wrong with the pit bull, right? And so, uh, and so, she, and so, this person's out of control. And I, other writers would be like, "Oh, I work with her. She's completely insane." Like even by Hollywood standards, she's always like preaching. And so, like I a made, vegan fundamentalist, vegan fundamentalist, and just in general, there's wokey fundamentalist, right? Mm -hmm. And I would piss her off in the room by saying. You know, she would be talking about civil rights and I'm like, you know, Malcolm X was pretty conservative, right? You know, Clarence Thomas cites Malcolm X as one of his primary reasons to become a lawyer because Malcolm X taught self-empowerment to black people. And that really made her very uncomfortable, right? And so, you know, <laughs> Clarence Thomas is a Malcolm X follower. You do realize that, right? Uh, she didn't because she didn't know anything about him, right? And so, but but the thing that that really actually got me angry in the writer's room, because it was, I took it very personally, was... Um, you know, her, she started preaching her veganism. It's preaching because you can't stop preaching this thing, right? Just like, you don't, you want to put this, you don't, you want to deny nutrients to your body. You don't want to have honey or milk. Fine, whatever. You want to be like that? Do it and <laughs> destroy yourself. And I don't care. Don't tell me, right? But they won't stop, right? My vegetarian friends don't bother me, right? They won't stop, right? So, so, so she's preaching veganism, and I'm like, well, you know. In Islam, in exact, it's actually coming up. Perfect timing. Uh, the the month of the pilgrimage began yesterday. The the Islamic month of pilgrimage began yesterday. And at the height of the pilgrimage, you reenact Abraham's moment of the sacrifice, where he replaces his son, and it's a ram is sacrificed instead. Oh right, so okay. It's a pivotal thing. It's and I didn't and, know that. Yeah, it's absolutely every year Muslims sacrifice animals and give the meat to the poor. Right, and this is a huge tradition where often in the poorest, like in places in Pakistan, India, Africa that I've been. Some people, they only eat meat once a year because they can't afford it. And this is the one year when they're given to it as charity. They get meat as part of the sacrifice mm -hmm. of Abraham, right? And so this is a huge part of Islam. And in the old tradition, I've seen it like when I was staying with my grandfather, you would actually, the old tradition is you would keep the goat in the house. You would keep the goat in the pen in, in the house, right? And then you would bond with the goat. You would actually treat it as a pet so that when it came time to actually sacrifice it, 
it's very emotionally painful. And you understand, one, what Abraham was being asked to do. Number two, you understand you're taking a life when you eat. It's not factory produced stuff. There is like with Native Americans, you got to honor the sake. When you take your this this animal, you're taking its life to eat it. And you need to understand and respect that. And you're it's not you removed. Be, yeah. And so, and so like when I was a kid in Karachi, uh, they would be on the on the Eid, the, the Eid al-Adha, the day of the sacrifice. You'd walk down the, the city street of Karachi and the the, the 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 sidewalk was flowing in blood from people sacrificing in their in their like. Wow you know, living room or whatever. And so the whole sidewalk, but this is a tradition living today. And I'm going to be sending money to have uh sacrifice done. I do it every year in Africa and, and give the meat to the poor. But I, so I told her that I was like, you know, you know, we Muslims, we, we, we sacrifice animals. We still do it by hand. In fact, I have a friend of mine who is trained because there's a specific way in both Judaism and Islam where you sacrifice an animal that it's biblical, right? Where you, 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 you basically strike the animal one blow in the neck uh, that's very fast with the jugular vein at a certain angle, which it basically puts it to sleep. And they've actually done studies, like a German scientist did studies. We actually put electrodes on animals that are being sacrificed under like the halal or the kosher way. And what he found was the the moment the, the knife hit, the part of the brain that's sleep activates and and the animal just goes to sleep and is not aware that it's dying, right? What? And, and, and part of it. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's a, I'll send you the link to the German article. It's fascinating because this angered vegans a lot because there's been an effort by seculars in Europe to end is both kosher and halal sacrifice. They just think it's mm. barbaric. And it's like, no, this is because part of the thing is you're not allowed to let the animal see the knife. You actually have to, you have to never let the animal be seeing another animal sacrifice because you're, this is a very traumatic experience. And this is the, the, the one way to minimize the suffering of the animal that we found historically. And the fact that the, these traditions out of the Middle Eastern desert, the biblical traditions came up with this when they didn't need to, let's kill the animal. Everyone's killed the animal. They don't care the price about it, right? You know, stun it, stun it and do it, right? This is something that's profound. And I said this to her and she turned red with anger. She couldn't believe. I'm like, yeah, I have a friend of mine. He's done that. He's held the animal here in, in, in the United States, like on a farm in Arizona. He's held the animal by the neck and he sacrificed it with his own hands. One of my closest friends. And he said it was one of the most profound moments of connection with life itself and understanding what eating is and, and what, what meat is. And it made him bond with the animal more than this stupid, go, go you know, go, go to do go to McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what you're getting. And, you know, you're just putting these factory farms that have been crushed by machines and horrible stuff. And so that, really upset her like i turned she turned livid it was as if i was saying talking about the other side of the abraham story like i had sacrificed a child right mm -hmm. she couldn't believe i was like i just couldn't take it anymore i was like yeah we sacrifice animals and it's a good thing mm. and she so to bring to bring this yeah. back because i also want to make sure you have time you were going to tell me about the elvis movie speaking of um but i want to I wanted to bring this back to the question I was asking you, because then we started talking about monogamy and polygamy and yeah. veganism or killing animals or not. And the question was, do we need to make moral judgment great again? Well, <laughs> or we that's should. one way of phrasing it. Do you, but what do it will you, do is it will create divides, unlike people are like you, right? Which is like, I have my judgment of right and wrong, but I'll interact with people. Most people can't. For example, polygamy is wrong in any every circumstance then most people will be like, well, screw that guy. Put that person in jail. I don't want to deal with them, right? You know, mm. it will. Moral judgment is a good thing. It will also create divides when we don't agree on certain individual things. We all agree murder is bad. Is is the death penalty bad? There's disagreement on that, right? Mm. Uh, there's a range of thoughts on that. Is that murder, right? And so, and I'm going to say something controversial here, which is going to maybe shock you because the, the is, you know, and, and as usual in the chats, there's a few characters 
negative Muslim, uh, anti-Muslim, okay. whatever. You say what you got to say. I'm whatever. I know my religion. She knows her religion. We don't. And we, we we're I get friends. the anti-Christian stuff too. Yeah. It's okay. We're, we're, we're friends. You, you guys, you don't have to like, I'm not going to convince you my religion is correct. She ain't going to convince you your religion is correct. Whatever. Say whatever you want. I'm whatever. playing the long game here, guys. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Job. I think in both of our traditions. <laughs> I agree. Faith, is, faith yeah. is a blessing. You know, you would say the yeah. spirit, right? You know, so it's not, it's not your job to, to, to convert. I, agree. I don't think I can convert anybody anyway. You just, you just witness and God does what yeah. he's going to do. Right. And so that's it. Right. And so, you know, it's, what I'll say that that's going to be controversial here, uh, which will, surpri will surprise my progressive friends, is that traditionally, under traditional Islamic law, the majority of Muslim scholars have said that abortion in the first trimester is acceptable. And there's a reason, right? Because they have said that life does not begin on conception based on an Islamic story, that the angel breathes the soul into the fetus at 120 days. That's actually 17 weeks. That's 17 weeks. That's more. That's that's mm -hmm. more than even Europe, you know, or the, or the, that's even, that's, that's more than the, the, the limits that, that people realize. So uh, I'm saying that as a result, the thing is because of our strong social structures, abortion isn't really a, a thing in the Muslim world because we're largely a still family marriage oriented stuff, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's not common. It does happen. Of course it happens in the 21st century, right? But it, it is something that we weaned out largely because we created this very strong social structure. So the debate I'm seeing that to me seems bizarre is like, well, now well, people can't bang anymore. If we can't have Roe v. Wade, now nah, we can't we can't party anymore, right? We can't we gotta can't have sex outside of marriage. What are you doing? Those? So it's like, sounds like a good trade off. You know, well, how's this helping you out? Is this making you happier? Hmm. Is this making the world better? It's not making the world better. It's not making you that's happier. That's that's the point Libby had is she sort of mm -hmm. said her the, culturally the the biggest defense she sees or the biggest argument she sees recently for abortion is to preserve a lifestyle it's to preserve right. my lifestyle which she That's said right. which which most of the time isn't worth preserving like what are you getting from that lifestyle that's a moral judgment but i was I mean, right along the, with her the excuse is the excuse is it is that is what it is in in reality in in theory the excuse is well it's going to oppress people's lives it's going to make them depressed they can't take care of this child and force it blah 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 it's going to make them poor you know again quoting from my tradition there's a verse in the Quran that says uh, where God is quoted as saying do not kill your children for fear of poverty we will provide for them mm -hmm. right it God the, a child brings prosperity I have a friend a uh, Muslim friend who was a struggling artist and he. He found out his wife was pregnant. He thought she was, you know, they'd been using birth control and and he's broke. He's broke his broke, broke, broke ass artist, whatever, didn't have any money. And he came to me and he said, is abortion halal? Is it acceptable? And I said, you know what? Even though I know theoretically in the first trimester it is, I'm not going to give him that advice. I'm not going to tell him, tell his wife to go abort this child, right? Because, you know, I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to even have this conversation with you. I'm not going to get involved in this. But what I am going to say this is I quoted that verse to him. I said, trust God. Yes. If you if you want to abort this child because you're afraid you can't feed it, here's this verse from Trust God, He will take care of it, and that's what they both did. The baby was born. The week the baby was born, he suddenly got these major gigs coming left and right, and suddenly he was employed and had work, and boom! Because Do you God know can what? take care of the baby. God's gonna take care of the baby. Yeah, <laughs> I said this to my husband last night because um, we do we do out loud prayers. I know some people probably think that's cheesy. I don't care. I'm saying something meaningful that. I think about it when I, what I'm saying and what I want to say that night. And so does he. And anyway, last night I said to him afterwards, I was like, I think that God is what one thing God has been showing me the past year is that, is that that whole idea of trusting and having faith in him 
that that even even when it's not human nature, it's not of the flesh to do so. Even when you're like, "Come on, God, you're not doing anything here." Like I need. There's this one verse that I kept reading that said, um, "It was from Exodus, and God says it, it says God will defend you, and all you need to do is remain silent." And sometimes that is so hard for me because I'm like. You're not defending me, God. Uh, somebody needs to do something. <laughs> I need yeah, to yeah, defend no, because, myself. You know, because and one of the names of God in Islam, right? And one of the hardest names for us is El Latif, which means the subtle one. God is the subtle one. Yes, he works through the world in a very subtle. Sometimes he does massive miracles and, or shocking things, but he is largely the subtle one. And so, what I've been finding is, time and time again, and and any atheist, just bear with me. You you don't have to believe what I believe, but I believe that what I've been finding is that if I do have that faith that later on it gives me that proof that it's like, see, you had the faith and see, didn't I take care of you? And I'm like, ah, that's just, there's something, it just puts a smile well, on my and, face and, about but, that. But Cause when you're in that struggling for the faith though, it's hard, but. Yeah. Well, that's what it is because faith is an inner experience, right? You and I don't have the same beliefs. We have faith. We have an experience of God. That's actually, when we start talking about our faith experiences, rather than arguing about dogma or scripture, we actually understand each other real well, right? Like I share the story with a Muslim who decides I'm going to not abort this baby because I'm going to trust God and the miracles right. start happening around their life. That's a faith experience, right? You immediately get it, right? And so this is the problem we're facing in our Western. This is the inevitable end result of the historical process of Europe and how it treated religion. You went through this historical process and please forgive me to my Catholic friends that are out there where the Catholic church did go through a period where it was a controlling, not particularly positive element of society and was suppressing knowledge and information, certainly through the Middle Ages. That's a historical reality that may not be the truth of Catholicism, but that's what it was for a historical period in the same way that these Wahhabi idiots who run Saudi Arabia are, are a historical moment that is not truth of Islam, but it's still there and everyone sees it. So then in response to that, you had the Protestant Revolution, which was the first effort to rationally approach religion against dogma. And then from that, you had, well, let's, let's use that same rationalism on religion itself, which led to the quote unquote enlightenment, right? And then more and more, led further and further away to from the heart and to pure mind and instead of what faith is supposed to do which is bring together the heart and the mind right mm. and to unite them we first had uh our politicians within within the european churches that were using emotion the heart to control people and shutting the mind off then we started yes. moving towards the mind and then cutting off the emotion which is the connection to god and the spirit so now we're in a completely quote-unquote rationalistic place where we rationalize everything and we say things that the heart knows are not true, especially like on gender identity and stuff. Your heart knows what you're saying is silly. It knows yes. that. You know this guy that has a penis and calls other women that's swimming with these other women is going to beat them. You know that. Your heart knows that. But your mind has now rationalized it. So you're yes. disconnected. Completely. Yes. Yes. Disconnect. I think we need... I think we need reason and faith. That's just my personal, that's a conclusion I've come to recently. That's where I'm at right now. So I love talking with you. I I only have, because I have to go to my husband's show, about yeah. 15 more minutes. Will you okay. please tell me about Elvis and what's great about it? Right. Well, first of all, I think you should see this movie. And I think- okay. I will. It is, I mean, I'm going to go see it for the third time this weekend. I saw it once. Okay. I saw it once with a friend of mine from Hollywood, didn't want to see it. And they walked away. He loved it. I saw it the next day with my mom who loved it. And now I'm going to see it with another friend on, on Saturday. So it is, in my opinion, one of the best movies ever made. Um, wow. And it's not correct. It, it, it brings to life Elvis, you know, as a character that many people have 
for, forgotten or made a joke out of when he was actually one of the most revolutionary figures in her world history, right? He, but what it does is it actually shows two things that are important to us, to our conversation. One is it actually shows that he's a conservative traditional values guy. He was very connected to his parents, to his mother in particular, mm -hmm. you know, became incredibly wealthy and people, you know, and he instead he focused on taking care of his parents, right? And, and doing good by them, right? Which is old Southern boy, upbringing and then the the other th important thing actually there's three things so that's one his personal values then the importance of of the church to him and now we're talking about faith the movie shows how and this is something you know from reading Elvis biography he was a very religious guy yeah he yes. banged his groupies or whatever you know he did his immoral things as you would call it. he has mm -hmm. a little harem right but he was a very personally he had faith and and it was very important to him and he found that faith in black revival churches as a child because this links to the other thing he grew up as the one poor white boy you know, in Mississippi, that his family was so poor, his dad had been put in prison for passing a bad check. So they were basically living off welfare. So they were at the bottom of white society. They couldn't get a place. So they had to go live with the poor black people in the segregated area, right? Mm -hmm. And so this one white kid, you know, being raised amongst black people, experiencing their music, their culture, and their faith, it transformed him, and it shows he was basically a black man in a white skin. I mean, if we talk about identity, right? He was a, he was he was like a, he had Rachel Dolezal. He was a it's Rachel Dolezal, black, right? He had, he actually did. I mean, he basically because he was more comfortable with black people because that's what he grew up with. He grew up with their church, and he grew up with their music, and he brings it to the world, right? And that is something that that is so anti the woke narrative. Right. Mm -hmm. Because here you've got a guy who is, quote unquote, culturally appropriating. Right. Yeah. But what he does is at a time when radio stations would not play rock and roll, sinful black music, not because there's even the music, it was just because they didn't want to play a black person on the radio. That station didn't allow black people. There were black specific stations that allowed that. Right. He becomes the white boy that comes on and starts doing their moves and doing their songs and the rhythm and blues and all this and bring rock and roll. And people like a white guy and emerges. he and emerges yeah. them. He essentially is, you know, he was God. He was he was not. They show the movie shows he wanted to make a lot more political comments, but his manager prevented him. Right. Uh, but he he made his comments through his music. And this guy single handedly made the uh, made the the civil rights movement easier. This was horrific. Right. A lot of violence. But because by the 60s, when it was erupting, this this guy had already created a culture bridge through music so that. People could, you know, you had white people and black people loving his music. That was the first cultural bridge. They didn't have a cultural bridge for 400 years. They didn't have a cultural bridge. This guy single-handedly created a cultural bridge that allowed us to move forward. That movie is incredible for showing that. That's awesome. I can't wait to see it. I love Elvis. Um, I have Elvis's cookbook, which ah. you guys can find online. And it's all of the recipes that his beloved mother made. It's his mother's recipes and then his, uh, his live-in chef at Graceland wow. and it's just as decadent as you imagine yeah. <laughs> and it, it, and it, it has it, specific white trash he was always gonna eat this kind of stuff oh stuff. yeah it it's a lot of stuff from my childhood in South Carolina it is and but and then it has specific menus in there like you can you can make you can reproduce the menu that they made mm -hmm. at Graceland when the Beatles came to visit him and it's like oh. I can't remember what's in there pimento cheese sandwiches and little hamburgers <laughs> like yeah, but, but, but you know my mom loved it because this was the music she grew up with in the 60s right you know 70s and and you know it, it's it's something that's a very family value sure sure they have a couple of moments of showing him hooking up with groupies but it's pretty pg right and uh and guess what he did that and that's what uh, so i rock stars a good job right <laughs> <So> <laughs> Cameron and the guitar. Carrie's going to hang out with Immoral Cameron and his four wives in his little dorm <laughs> rock and hang out with me, and it's all because. 
I would love to hang out with you in real life. I feel like I have, but we haven't. So yeah, no, we, be... well, when are you going to come to this sinful place of LA? When are you going to do it? I don't know. Maybe yeah, there's no, it's year. like going back into hell, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. hell. why would you go back in? I did just go to New York. I could, I could do a, That's hell too. I could do I both in one year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but. Are the masks uh, off in New York or people still being crazy? Actually, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was going to be worse than it was. There, Most of the people were not wearing masks. Now, depending on where you were at, because when we went to New York Pride, we went to New York City Pride, myself, mm -hmm. Billboard Chris, uh, Alex Stein, Mike Carlo, and Dangerous Rhetoric. And we were just trying to, we were, we were hanging out with Billboard Chris doing what he does. Mm -hmm. And there, if you're at Pride, you're going to see a greater number of masks. And that makes sense because those people are, a lot of them, so they, but they of, bought into the official narrative. Yes. This is part of the religion, right? You know. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. So but you get, you get, you get the masks are uh, their faces are covered, but their genitals are exposed. <laughs> yes. Okay. Boobs out. Okay. okay. Face okay. covered. I just like sometimes I just like messing with people just to be still. I was at the getting a coffee in the little coffee shop there. It's packed. I mean, it's pride everywhere. There's mm -hmm. glitter coming down from the rooftops. It's rainbow flags, trans flags everywhere, and. I'm in the Starbucks. We're waiting to get some drinks. We were waiting on part of the group to get there. And there's these younger people near me and they're all dressed out in rainbows. And I just like going up to people and being like, you know, is something happening today? Like, I, I just like to get reactions. Well, I mean, again, look, what it is, is this moment, you know, I, I predicted this moment. I predicted this moment that we're we're at such a place where the pendulum has swung to such a wacky wacko place, right? That uh, it's going to swing back. It's already swinging back culturally, but it's going to swing back to a place where. And Clarence Thomas said it. You know, Justice Thomas said in his prayer. You know, if you take away the fundamental claims, right to privacy that Roe versus Wade claimed is, is inherent to the Constitution, then uh, you take that away. Then that's the basis of gay marriage, you know, you know, universalizing it rather than making it a state issue, right? So we're going to have the pendulum swing back and I think gay marriage is next and all that is next. Uh, it's going to get to a place uh, where right now I think our our friends on the right, and again, I don't define myself as right or left, I just am what I am. Our friends on the right are going to be very triumphalist for a while. And then it's going to get to a place where like, you know, it's going to get to a place where like, you know, let's start hassling gay people in their private lives and yeah, it's going to get to an ugly place and the pendulum's going to swing so. back to it. I think it'll it go from too. you know it's it's that's where the voice of those of us that have morality you know because look you know again and i'm ignoring the the gentleman who's in the chat screaming about islam whatever keep screaming uh you know the islamic perspective this will shock people is that sexual morality is just keep it in your private life because they were talking about islam says you can stone so adulterers for death the whole thing is if if four witnesses see them doing it in public with their own eye with this. The idea is keep your sexual lives private, whether it's fornication, whether it's adultery, whether it is homosexuality. Keep always keep your bang in private, right? Don't talk about it and don't uh and don't be doing that out in public because in the Middle East and desert countries, people were let's bang in the middle of the street because that's what they did, right? In those mm. primitive cultures. Uh and so my view is keep your stuff private as long as it's with adults, I don't give a damn, right? Uh what, it will get to a place where cultural pendulum will swing back, where we will then simply go back to the 1950s morality raids. It will get there, I and think I think that, that will be. It won't. Yeah. Be so nerdy girl says, "Yeah, I fear the right doing that as well." This has been one of my primary concerns since I first started waking up to what my old ideology, social justice, really is. Yes. My one of my primary concerns is that there will be this pendulum swing. You know, for it's every, never. It's a historical yeah. process. And I'm actually, I'm doing an interview next week with a, um, a friend of mine, uh, Suhaila, who's transgender mm -hmm. and Hindu. That's mm -hmm. going to be an interesting conversation. Which is because and there's more acceptance she, historically of trans in the subcontinent that would surprise people. 
Yeah. And she, but, but she, like a lot of, a lot of the trans people I know are very fearful about what's going to happen because of this, this transgender rights lobby. Yeah, well, there there are trans people who mostly just want to be left alone. Yes. Activists. There's these activists who are like, you know, who are using them as part of an overarching agenda. That's just, this is one element of it. Yeah. And because they don't, I mean, that's the thing I get so upset when we were at, and I see, I see that Daniel from dangerous rhetoric is here. Let me just put this on the screen real fast. Now I know that your time is limited and you're not doing a lot. Well, I do want to respond to one person because, you know, so, you know, something I just want to respond. So Laura Higgins is saying in there in the chat, you're not being honest. I'm always honest about my religion. You don't have to like my religion. You can believe it's a fake religion and you don't have to like Muhammad. It's fine. It's your belief. I got a different belief, right? But I want to answer on this thing about gay, gay things. Uh, historically, uh, this will shock people. Muslims have actually been very relaxed towards gays, much more than Europeans were. Because guess what? We live in a sexually segregated society where men and women were, aren't interacting in public largely. Uh, and so as a result, there was a lot of private stuff happening between men and women when they're only interacting with each other, right? Uh, and it was kept private. And you know this whole thing of throwing people off of uh, off uh, off of roofs. This is what I have heard of is throwing people off of roofs. Yeah, but that's that, and that's not that's like saying that the Salem witch trials is normative Christianity, right? It's not. And historically, uh, Muslims have left gay people alone. There's a very large today in Pakistan. You can go to the large red light district in Lahore, which has a very large gay hookup area. That's 600 years old. Right, mm-hmm. that goes back to the Mughal era. That's still there, right? That, that's still part of the culture there. And uh, and so, you know, one of my gay friends says he goes to Dubai because he gets to hook up a lot there with Arab guys, right? It's the general. It's been a, historically been a don't ask, don't tell culture because the whole thing is keep your sex life private. We know this is going on. We know when Uncle uh, Ahmed is hanging out with Uncle Hakim there that they got something going on. But we just don't want to talk about it. It was just everyone keep it private and we don't want to bring it up. I know that that's not the official narrative you're hearing from the Taliban or from the Saudis or anything like that. Uh, but historically, that has been what it is uh, to the point that the British colonialists, when they conquered the Middle East, were so shocked by how laissez-faire the Muslims were towards homosexuality in the in the 19th, 18th, 17th centuries, that they called it the gay disease. They called it the per- being gay, the Persian disease. That is what the British called it because, the, you know, they like to bugger kids privately in, in, in London, but they don't like uh, this kind of social acceptance of it that was happening. Mm. Uh, and again, in the Muslim so, world, there was a cultural pendulum swing that the Saudis brought about with the fundamentalism where it became this cup, like the Taliban doing crazy extreme things like blowing up the the you know the icons of Bamiyan that no Muslim ever cared about for 14 centuries. We left them alone, someone other else's religion. So using the example of the Puritans who do the Salem witch trials as the norm is what people do when they don't like a religion. That's actually not the norm. And if you go so, to the Muslim world, you'll be shocked at how people don't give a shit about the homosexuality. They just don't. Can I just yeah. want to put this on the screen too? Yeah, well, but I now, Laura, I responded I know, to your facts. I know, but she says- I'm not saying I don't like you. I'm talking about the facts of what happens. Okay. I'm just going to say, this is a great example of where I don't have, and a lot of times people will jump into conversations when they don't have facts. So I'm not going to jump in because I don't have the facts. I know that I have heard the same uh, narrative that Laura has and the representations I've seen from the the way that the Muslim world. Right. Because but, it's the opposite of the of right. the West. The op- the official narrative in the West is homosexuality is a wonderful thing. We embrace it. That's the public narrative. The private narrative, people still have a lot of bigotry towards gays. They do privately, right? They'll just mm-hmm. keep it very private because it's not socially acceptable. The Muslim world, the public narrative is homosexuality is an abomination against God. Privately, people, I don't give a damn. Just keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. That's historically what it is. Now, whether you trust my character or not, I've always been honest. And I've all I'm honest about well, the things that are done in the name of my religion. 
And this kind of stuff that you're talking about the, 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 is not the norm. It certainly is happening today. It is not the historical norm. And it goes against the general tradition of everybody keep it to themselves. Uh, there's also the case that sometimes things are a matter of perspective and both people can be being honest when they, it's like, this is my perspective on what this is. I know well, it's, Laura lived it's in Africa for a while. I mean, right. if you hear about, if I hear about Mormonism, right. that's my perspective until I meet a Mormon. I don't, then a Mormon tells me, well, that's not true. I got to listen to that. Mm -hmm. Right. Even though I've heard all these things about Mormonism. So, so I, before we got into that, I just wanted to yes. tell you, this is Daniel Delafay. He's amazing. He gives a little heart. He's part of dangerous rhetoric and he's a very thoughtful, intelligent guy. And if, and they have a great channel. I know you're not doing a lot of shows right now. Yeah. I'm trying it, to be controlled. Even this thing, you know, because right. of the projects I'm working on, right. they're watching. They're like, you are you on YouTube? We're just keeping an eye on this. So I'm yeah. just sharing my personal belief, but hopefully even the stuff I'm saying is a little on the edge. But at some point, I think you and Daniel, even if it wasn't on camera, you guys would have a great conversation. Um, Tara says, uh, oh, this was, she was talking about polygamy, that only men who were really getting away with it were the rich and powerful men. Yeah, um, because especially in a system where you have to economically treat the the each wife equally, even if you can't emotionally treat them equally, that's a rich man's game. Unless you're all poor and which equal is is equal because they're all poor, right? So it's rich man, poor man's game. It's not a middle class game. And thank you, Jeffrey Fidley, for the $20 super chat. 1999 says, thanks for having conversations most won't. This is why I love talking to Cameron. So yeah, well, that's great. Your channel is anyone can come up and say what they want to say. And you can say, I like, I believe polygamy. Well, Cameron, I think that that's immoral, but you're still my friend. So, okay. <laughs> um, Eric O'Sullivan. Oh, thank you, Eric. He gives a super chat. Says, "Happy Friday!" And cheers to great conversation with some of my favorite YouTube personalities. I've, I've seen Eric many times on on the chat. So God bless him. Good to see you. Yeah. Happy Fourth of July, guys. Are you going to celebrate the fourth? What are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm going to be celebrating the fourth by getting my actual script done that's due next week, right? Uh, but yeah, uh, no, I think I think the fourth of July is it's an important holiday. And actually, one of the things that I loved about this holiday is especially at the, remember at the height of the lockdowns in 2020, mm -hmm. that was the moment when I knew we're going to be okay. Because on the 4th of July, they, they locked down LA and they said, no, you can't set off any fireworks. And the, and the whole sky was lit that night because everyone just set off illegal fireworks. Right. And to the point, I remember watching the, uh, the news and the helicopters are shocked. Look at all these explosions. <sighs> People are, they're spreading the pandemic. I was like, this, it's not, they're not going to win. They're not going to defeat America. They're not going they're <laughs> trying to, but I knew at that moment they're not going to defeat America. They're not going yeah. to. Yeah. Um, one last one. This is not a super chat. I just want to read it. The Puritans, I this is from Ralmo Graywolf. What a great name. The Puritans I am existentially against. The people like Karen Cameron, I love and want more of. Well, I want more of you guys in the chat. You guys are always every people can disagree. It can get contentious sometimes, but everyone's really cool with each other. Yeah. So um I Oh, look, there's Daniel. Yeah, you guys should talk sometime. You'd have a you'd have a great conversation. Okay. I'm gonna wrap this up because to start to kick off my fourth weekend, I'm going to my husband's show and then I'm hanging out with Mystery Chris tonight. And I'm really excited about the rest of the day. So um thanks for dropping by. Good luck finishing your script. Tell people where they can find you online. You have a Patreon for anyone yeah, who wants throw to that support link in there. your work. Yeah, yeah, I'm throwing that link in there. I talk a lot about Hollywood. I, I mean, and the Patreon is a great place where there's a lot of debate about stuff like you. I try to let everyone have their say. Uh, but yeah, I talk I talk more about Hollywood than I do about these things, but it comes into it because I talk about the politics and the values of Hollywood a lot. Uh, and I give a lot of insider perspective because I'm somehow magically still working there. I love <laughs> somehow, that. I love that God you are. I don't know I'm still here. I shouldn't be here. I don't know. I'm still here. I love that you are. And uh, I can't wait to see what you do next. So. 
Okay. And there's gonna be some polygamy in this thing I'm doing next. We're gonna have to deal with Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it's a historical project set in the world where that happened. But it's gonna have yeah, I don't I mean there's a lot of things I think any, anyway, it doesn't it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just gonna you invite you to I mean. my compound with my four wives in Morocco. <laughs> I'll be I'll cook four meals. Member. You'll be you'll be welcome. <laughs> have really good, we'll have some really good food. Uh, and uh, and you know be like yeah, can I can I bring some southern food from Elvis's cookbook? Oh, oh my god, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and then the, and then yeah, yeah absolutely. I'll do four. Yeah, different one of the four kinds can be a nice southern salad. girl. I gotta think for southern girls. If I want to <laughs> they're all like you know from Virginia or whatever. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> you guys, thanks for hanging out with us. I hope you have a great Fourth of July weekend. Thank you, Cameron Pasha, for coming by. Thank you to Libby Evans who was here earlier, and yeah, have a. I'm gonna. Oh, I didn't have this queued up. Ah, I'm going to roll this video. Okay. Roll, roll your video. Roll your video. Bye, guys. Bye -bye. Bye -bye.